0: I ask the rest of you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going we're to finish up that chapter this morning. As you're turning there, just a, a, just a little bit of orientation, I guess, throughout the history of the church, and this isn't just the past 100 years or 200 years or 1,000 years, but just like literally, uh, even since uh, the, the era when Jesus was preaching the gospel and establishing the church... There's always been this tendency to go one direction or the other when it comes to the ministry of the church, uh, and it goes like this. Basically, uh, you've got some churches that are uh, very, very focused on um, preaching and teaching, and so they're going to they're gonna make sure that they're doing lots of evangelism. They're going to be doing lots of theological education. They're going uh, to be into the Word, uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, but it's not a good thing when it omits another good thing, which is caring for the physical needs of the people in their flock, people in their community, uh, when it comes to poverty and homelessness and hunger and uh, you know kids without moms, kids without dads, uh, those kinds of things where there's not only spiritual blessings that come from the gospel, but material blessings that come from the gospels. Uh, so basically a lot of times what happens is uh, People in the first kind of church will go, hey, how come we're not doing anything uh, for the people around us? And then they'll break off and they'll go, you know, establish a new group. And they're going to be all about helping those who are in need, you know, sort of the social gospel. And then they forget about the spiritual blessings of the gospel. While these people over here have forgotten about the material blessings of the gospel. We're, neither are doing both, neither are an accurate picture of the kingdom of God. Because what did Jesus come to do? He taught us and he healed us and he cared for us. And, And he showed us the kingdom of God. And so a healthy church is going to be a church that Jesus establishes uh, that's going to reflect the kingdom of God. That's that's the picture we have uh, from Paul. That's his mindset. That's his heart. His concern as he's um, concluding his, his remarks to the Romans, he reminds them of the spiritual and the material blessings that come with the gospel. So let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to read verses 22 through 33 in chapter 15. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected... I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Father, would you be with us? Would you, the God of peace, give us the peace that comes from knowing you, knowing your gospel? Thank you for Jesus who comes to us full of spiritual and material blessings through your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated? <clears throat> So as you, uh, as you see in verse 27, this is where I'm getting this whole pairing of, of spiritual and material blessings. Paul has both on his heart. He's eager for uh, the church at Rome to understand uh, that, that both are important to him, uh, and he's sharing uh, a bit of his planned itinerary. He wants to come see them. He's got an errand to run before, uh, hopefully, he can pass through Rome on his way to Spain. And He begins by talking about this reason why he's been, up till now, uh, often uh, he's been hindered from coming to them, um, and he's wanted uh, to to see them, but now he says, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, he he hopes to see them. So um, what's this reason? Why why, why exactly has he been hindered in his plans to come and, and visit with them? Uh, well, you go back to last week's passage, if you were with us, he was describing his view of, of ministry, uh, his particular calling as an apostle, is to go to where people haven't heard of Jesus before. So if you've got, you know, your Bible open in chapter 15, look back at the end of verse 19, and he says that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Eliakim, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, which is a pretty bold statement. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Uh, But as it's written in Isaiah, he talks about those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Um, So what Paul is explaining to them is, hey, I really want to see you all. I I know I've been talking about coming to see you. He's never been to Rome. He's never seen them in person, but... Paul knows about the church in Rome, and uh, the church in Rome knows about him. They have a lot of mutual acquaintances. And so uh, he's explaining that what's hindered him so far is his, his, uh, his call as a missionary to fulfill the ministry of the gospel. All the way around from Jerusalem in the east and sort of northwest, just uh, this, making this huge arc all the way almost to Italy, to Elyaricum. And how, in his mind, he can say... That he's fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. One, uh, the NIV reads that, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ, or, or another way you could uh, translate that is, I've, I've completed the preaching of Christ, which if you think just geographically, how is that possible? Demographically, how is that possible? I've been, in, I've been in Waynesboro and Augusta County for 15 years, and I, I would not consider that I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel here. Uh, so what, is, what does Paul mean when he, when he talks about this completion? What, what's his uh, paradigm for ministry? And, and it goes like this. It makes sense if you, if you pay attention to Paul's strategy, which is he goes to the prominent cities, whatever province that he's in, whatever territory he's in, He is looking for the greatest, densest uh, population center that there is. And so generally, that's going to be a capital city. It's going to be one of the main um, population centers, places like Corinth, places like Thessalonica, places like Ephesus. These are the places where Paul has personally visited. He's gone there, and his MO is he'll he'll go and he'll preach and he'll gather um, new converts, uh, new disciples and he'll establish a church, and he'll, he'll you know, raise up leaders for that church. He makes sure that church is healthy, and then he's moving on to the next city to start the next church, and his assumption uh, is that a healthy church that's governed by the gospel is going to be a, a flourishing church. It's going to grow. It's going to grow deep roots into the, the, the truth and the reality of, of God's love for us through Jesus Christ. And it's going to grow numerically. Uh, It's going to grow demographically. It's going to grow ethnically. Uh, To the extent to which, yeah, hopefully that church itself is going to become larger, but it's also going to grow by virtue of multiplication. And so Paul's strategy is go to the cities, go to the main population centers, plant churches, preach the gospel, plant churches, raise up disciples, raise up leaders, and then he's moving on. And those churches are then to spill, the gospel is going to spill out from the life and the vitality of that group of Christians, and they're going to plant more churches. And so that those major cities will get more churches in them. Churches will overflow from those major cities into the minor cities. Churches from the minor cities are going to overflow into the counties and so on. And that's, in Paul's mind, how he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, because all of those major cities now have new churches in them. And he's trying to continue to push out. He's wanting to go west, ultimately to Spain, where there aren't any churches, uh, where the gospel has not yet been preached. So when when Paul's got this mindset going, he is willing to go out of his way, absolutely out of his way, and forsake comfort, forsake normalcy, forsake just routine and rhythm, and he's always going to something new. He's always going out of his way Uh, to do that uh, because he knew that the world really was in need of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, uh, there's still a lot of truth to that. Uh, Right now, there's estimates are 7.3 billion people on this planet. What percent of those 7.3 billion people would identify as Christian? It's about a third. 2.3 billion people identify as Christian... Who knows whether or not they actually have a vital relationship with Jesus, but that leaves five billion people who professedly don't have any relationship with Jesus. Uh, And so what does it mean for us to, like Paul, to, to be thinking of ourselves as sent, commissioned missionaries who are going out of our way to reach the lost? Paul's going out of his way. Jesus went out of his way, you know, the disciples go out of their way. What does it mean for us to go out of our way uh, to reach a world where there are five billion people that don't have a relationship with Jesus? Out of that five billion people, there's estimates that would say something like eight out of 10 of them don't even have a friend who is a Christian. They don't even know a Christian. You know, they're unreached in that regard. Um, And what does it look like for us to reach uh, those who don't know Jesus in the nations? And what does it look like for us to reach uh, our neighbors uh, who who don't have a relationship with Jesus? Uh, There are people around us who don't even have a friendship with a Christian. They don't even know a Christian. Uh, And so that puts a burden on us to be thinking intentionally about how do I go out of my way to befriend people that aren't Christians because the tendency in the church is that all of our friends are Christians and meanwhile you know eight out of ten of the people around us uh, maybe that's an inflated statistic for our immediate community but a you know we were talking last week about 25% of people in America just don't even identify with any religion they're nuns n-o-n-e and so one out of four people around us are not claiming any religious identity at all. What does it mean for us to move intentionally, purposefully, to go out of our way to engage in friendships with non-Christians? Did you know that friendship is a, is a, it's a stewardship of sorts? Um, God gave you and I friends. He, he establishes friendship for a purpose. It's, it's a... It's something that he gives to us. It doesn't belong to us. He gives it to us, and he wants us to use it well. He wants us to use it purposefully and intentionally in a way that glorifies him. How do we do that? If if friendship is a stewardship that we're accountable for and responsible for, how do we do friendship well? You and I do friendship well when the friends that we have whether they are believers or whether they are unbelievers, whether they are professing to follow Jesus or whether you know, they don't know Jesus and don't, don't profess to follow him, it doesn't matter. Regardless of that friendship, you and I do friendship well when we are sharing Jesus with our friends. Friendship is a stewardship. And if we're not sharing the love of Jesus with our friends, we're not doing friendship responsibly. Um, what that means is, as Richard Lovelace uh, says, I, I like I like how he summarizes: our relationship to others is never religiously neutral. Do you know that? Like, you, you, when you have an interaction with somebody, you're, you're coming away with some spiritual impression of them. Some, you know, there's no in, there's no encounter that's religiously neutral. So, so when I, I have a conversation with somebody, they're either getting um, a, a whiff of Jesus from me, or, or they're getting nothing, and that leaves an impression on them. And that happens with all of our relationships. So what impression do people get from you? Are they getting an impression of Jesus or are they getting an impression of somebody that can do life very well on their own? They're they're pretty self-sufficient. They're they're fine. Thank you very much. Um, And if we're doing all of our friendships with the intention of sharing Jesus with them, uh, whether they're believers or unbelievers, you know what's beautiful about that? Is it avoids the stereotype within the church, within evangelical churches, within churches that really do believe that the gospel has to go out, uh, not just to the nations, but to our neighbors, it avoids that stereotype where people feel like they've got concentric circles painted on their, on their, on their chest. You know, where, where my friendship with somebody, you know, well, this is so that I can, you know, make them my target.
1: And I'm going to convert
0: them, and I'm going to, you know, share the gospel with them, and then I'll have a notch in my belt. Mm. Okay, you know the end, I, I get, but the, the the means is just kind of sketchy. Um, a person's not your project. They're an image bearer of God. And they deserve to be loved well with integrity. And the best way that you can love somebody and, ha- and be and have integrity is to share Jesus with them. Not because you need to boast about your convert, but because, well, we're called to love. And if we're doing that for believers and unbelievers, then, then we're consistent and we have integrity. And, and that's a great way for us to look at the nations. It's a great way for us to look at our neighbors as w- how am I going out of my way to think intentionally, deliberately, purposefully about the relationships that I've got, whether it's you know, people on your team, people in your classroom, people at work, people on your street, people in your co-op, you know, wherever you are, every single person around you all of those relationships, all those friendships with others is never religiously neutral. It always leaves an impression on somebody. Uh, Paul understood that he's eager to get uh, the gospel out to as many people as he can, and he needs support. And, and what, I want, what, what I want to show you in this passage is where um, we get sort of this, this um, trichotomy of, of looking at what does it mean to support missions Paul talks about financial support, he talks about uh, prayer support, he talks about moral support in these verses, and and I want to just quick highlight these so that we can get that paradigm uh, enforced in our own hearts. In verse 24, he's asking them um, that, hey, I'm going to see you as I pass on and go to Spain, and I'd love to be helped on my journey there by you. Uh, I want to enjoy your company, but I'm also asking for your help. And of course, he's, he's asking for financial help. He's asking for the same help that he asked the Corinthians for um, in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, hey, I'm going to visit you after passing through Macedonia, and I intend to pass through there, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go after that in this, uh, in this mission. Uh, Paul's not afraid to, to ask for help. Um, he's a career missionary. And that means that his his vocation, his primary calling is to to plant churches, to share the gospel, disciple, raise up leaders. And if he's doing that full time, you know, and putting in plenty of overtime too, I'm sure, uh, he doesn't have time uh, for a lot of the other things that you would do if you were raising your own salary, you know, going to a job, you know, punching the clock. I know there were times uh, when Paul would do a sort of a secular job, you know, making his tents, whatever the case was. Uh, but there, weren't, there were also times when he was not afraid to say, look, I, I could really use some help financially. Um, so when you think about those five billion people uh, out in the world today, we've got missionaries all over the planet, and, uh, and we need to release them so that they can spend full time, you know, and overtime Endeavoring to evangelize, disciple, plant churches, raise up leaders, et cetera. And if they have to to spend all their time uh, at a job where they're you know trying to put food food on the table, that's less time that they're doing planting churches. And so that's the nature of why we support missionaries. It's why we support uh, full-time Christian workers uh, at home and and abroad. Uh, I, I I like <laughs> I think this is fun. Back in chapter ten. Um, You you have to look at the whole of Romans as a support letter, like a missionary support letter. Paul is is using this letter to say, see, um, I'm the real deal apostle. And he's outlining the gospel for them in 14 chapters. Uh, But he's getting to the point where he's ready to ask them for their partnership. And that's what we have here in chapter 15. He kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, And back in chapter 10, he's talking about the nature of missions and evangelism. He says, how are they going to call on him and whom they not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? Oh, and by the way, how are they going to preach unless they are sent? Wink, wink, you know. I would love to have somebody send me because, you know, Spain's calling. um, and, And I've got an errand to run. So financial support's important. prayer uh, support is important. And as much as we need to ask ourselves, how can we uh, go out of our way in, in reaching the neighbors, how can we go out of our way in financially supporting those who are taking the gospel to the lost? We need to go out of our way in prayer. intentionally praying, uh, for people that are out of sight and out of mind, and I struggle with this, um, I'm, I'm very much, you know, in the moment. If you're in front of me, I'm with you, and, 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 and it's easy for me to forget uh, if, uh, if I'm not being reminded of, of you being in front of me. So uh, to remember to pray for missionaries, it has to be intentional, it has to be deliberate, but, uh, but we have to. Paul's asking for three points of prayer, um, starting in verse 30. He's, he's appealing, you know, this is a plea. Please pray, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. And he's praying for deliverance. He needs needs protection uh, from the reaction of those who are going to oppose his message when he gets back to Jerusalem. So prayers for protection, prayers for acceptance. Uh, He wants the the community in Jerusalem to accept the ministry that he's bringing. And uh, and that's, that's something that we've got to pray for all of our missionaries, that they can learn how to do the dance with a lot of grace and a lot of wisdom, the dance of embracing the culture in which they're, they're doing ministry without compromising the, the truth of the message of the gospel. Uh, that's not easy to do always. Uh, and so they've got to, you know, we need to pray that the message, uh, the ministry would be acceptable and winsome and truthful uh, to the context in which they're ministering. His third prayer, uh, I think it's good and it's healthy that we remember to pray for joy, that our missionaries would be refreshed, that they would experience joy in their ministry as they are, uh, as they are moving around uh, in these different people groups and in places that are completely foreign to us, praying for their joy. Because it can be hard. It can be lonely. It can be difficult. they can be surrounded by opposition. And, and we've got we've to pray. We've got to go out of our way to pray. Last point about supporting uh, missions uh, has to do with moral support. In verse 24, Paul's asking that as he's heading on to Spain, he wants to be helped on his journey there, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And he repeats that in verse 32, asking that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed uh, in in your company. How can we... How can we provide that kind of refreshment uh, to our missionaries? It's one thing to write a check. Uh, it's one thing to, uh, to remember to pray. Those are, both of those are very important things. But if, but if our missionaries don't know that they matter, and if they don't know that people care for them genuinely, uh, it makes their job all the harder. And so what does it look like for us to offer that moral support Easiest thing in the world for any of us to do at Tabernacle is when we host a missionary as a church, show up. It's most of the time when when uh, we have any of our missionaries visiting with us, uh, we'll we'll have them up front, you know, during the worship service, and we'll share just a little bit because um, ma- many of you don't know some of our missionaries, especially if you're new. So of course we want to introduce them to you. Uh, But most of the time, what also happens is during 9.45 to to 10.30, the discipleship hour, they're here sharing with us in a lot more detail and giving a lot more context to to what they're doing. And and we've got to show up, you know, just let them know that what they're doing matters to Tabernacle. Uh, Something else you can continue to do to go out of your way, that's really not going out of your way, but go out of your way, what would it look like for every every household, every person at Tabernacle to, to say, I have at least one missionary, one missionary family or whatever who I've adopted, so to speak. You know, Each household at Tabernacle has a missionary that they've adopted that, that you're personally vested in care, caring for. Writing letters of encouragement, um, hosting them when, when they are visiting. Hey, let's go out to lunch. Come and stay with us. You know, Let's go out to dinner, whatever the case may be. Uh, You could go really crazy and go do a proactive vacation and go on vacation in northern Africa or go on vacation in southern Africa or go on vacation in Peru or go on vacation in Southeast Asia and go and visit them on their turf. Blow their mind. They'd feel incredibly encouraged. uh, so anyway, just some things to think about. I want to I take a little moment here because we're very excited uh, as a church. And, and we want to make sure that as a body, we give particular support, that we go way out of our way uh, to support uh, John and Lorena McCall, who are, have been members here at Tabernacle for years. And they have felt God's call uh, on their life, their their household. Uh, They've applied with our denomination's mission organization, Mission to the World, MTW. They've been uh, approved. They've received an invitation from a church planting team that exists already in Arequipa, Peru. It's the second largest city um, in Peru. Over 800,000 people live there. That's seven times the population of Augusta County, Stanton, and Waynesboro in one city. And the overwhelming majority of these people in Arequipa are are nominally Roman Catholic. So you think, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. Except when you think that to be, and I'm not going to pick on Catholics here, I'm going to pick on every nominal person out there, whether you're a nominal Presbyterian, or nominal Baptist, or nominal Methodist, or nominal Muslim, or nominal Buddhist, or nominal Jehovah's Witness. I don't care what you are. If you're nominal, it's nothing. It means nothing. There's no relationship with God. There's no relationship with Jesus. You're still lost. And so 800,000 people with no real relationship with Jesus, and, um, and they need disciples, they need churches, and so John and Lorena and their children are, are going to leave Tabernacle. We're sending them. To Arequipa. Uh, their support raising process begins like in September, so they're still in that prep mode, but I'm giving you the heads up. I'm, I'm giving us a heads up. How can we go out of our way to support John and Lorena and Caleb and Annalise and Benjamin with our money, with our prayers, and with our, our encouragement? Uh, some prayer needs, especially, uh, praying for preparations because uh, there's a lot to do. Can you imagine moving your family and your three young children from the United States to a, a, con- a city you've probably never heard of in Peru? On all the details that are that are involved in that. Uh, so pray for preparations and pray pray for the kids, obviously, um, and pray for the team in Arequipa for their ministry to flourish, uh, for churches to be planted, for. Uh, people to come to know Jesus. And, uh, and that's, that's one way that Tabernacle can go out of our way uh, to support one of our own and, and to provide blessing uh, to the saints in Peru, which I think would be awesome. So those are some spiritual blessings that Paul is referring to as he's, he's committed to going out of his way to get the gospel uh, to places where people have never heard of Jesus. And he wants prayer and he needs support and he needs encouragement. But before he does that, before he heads to Spain, he has another errand to run. And verse 25, he says, At present, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia, uh, think Thessalonica, Philippi, those cities, and Achaia, think uh, Corinth and Athens, places where Paul's preached, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor. And so he is going to take that contribution and, uh, and, and take it to Jerusalem for the benefit of the saints there. So a couple of questions here. How important is it to Paul to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard before? Very important. He's absolutely going out of his way to preach the gospel to those who haven't heard it, right? And I mean, that's evident. All the missionary journeys and so on. Here's the second question. We know it's important for Paul to share the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God. How important is it to Paul to share the material blessings of the kingdom of God. This is a, a map of, you know, it's one of those ancient maps so you, you remember, this is a while back. Um, so Paul, we we believe, most people believe that he's riding from Corinth, which is right there uh, in Greece. And he's, he's riding from, Cor- whoops, wrong way, all right. He's writing from Corinth, he's riding to the church in Rome and he's hoping to, to head, to Rome, on his way over to Spain so that he can preach to those who haven't heard the gospel and plant churches in Spain. But before he goes, where does he want to go? He's got to get to Jerusalem. And his errand to go from Corinth to Jerusalem so that he can go back to Rome and then on to Spain is mercy ministry. Sharing the material blessings of the gospel is so important to Paul, he is willing to go 180 degrees the opposite way out of his way in order to supply the needs of the saints, the poor, in Jerusalem. That's huge. I mean, I don't even know how many miles that is, but that's a that's a slightly um, longer errand than you and I would probably be accustomed to. I don't know how many months, I don't know how many miles, I have no idea. You know what, in, what, what he's taking on as he agrees uh, to say yes to supporting the needs of the poor in Jerusalem. He's not only going out of his way, we all also need to understand. He's not just going out of his way, he's also going into harm's way. So, I mean, just, this just kind of annies it up um, exponentially. In verse 31, that prayer, his first prayer request is that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Well, what's, he, what's he worried about? Well, he's worried about the um, very, very zealous uh, Jewish community there, who remembers the good old days when Paul is a Pharisee. But now Paul's not a Pharisee anymore. He's one of those Christian people, and he's converting our people, and so we hate him. and uh, And so they're going to go make trouble for Paul. And he's praying, "Please, you know, pray that I be delivered from them, because they're going to then turn him over to Rome. And when you're in prison," You know, by the Roman state, things don't generally go very well. And he's praying; he's asking the Romans to pray for him. Um, he also, we read through uh, through Acts and Luke's account of Paul's missionary journeys. Paul, Paul, he knows. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the Holy Spirit's revealed to him that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's gonna he's gonna be arrested. He even comes across a, a guy named Agabus, a prophet. Uh, on his way to, back to Jerusalem and Agabus takes Paul's belt and he, he binds his own hands and he says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of that belt. The Holy Spirit has told him that. And so this is one of those really kind of crazy times when you see Paul asking for a prayer that he knows won't be answered. Sometimes God calls us to suffer. And he doesn't answer the prayer for deliverance. He always answers the prayer for eternal deliverance, but missionaries get in trouble. Evangelists end up in jail. You and I face opposition. It happens. And Paul's willing to endure that. He's willing to endure afflictions and imprisonment in order, why? To go out of his way to provide the material blessings of the kingdom of God to to the saints who are in need. Do you and I have that kind of esteem for mercy ministry? Isn't it just sort of like an aside, oh, yeah, it's nice when we can do that. That's a good thing. If, as long as we've got resources, we'll get to that. Is that Paul's attitude? Um, today, a, again, thinking about our, our world, of the 7.3 billion people that live on this planet, 3 billion of them live in poverty. And 1 billion of that 3 billion are children. We're not, we're not talking, you know, the poverty where they need uh, some assistance for groceries. Um, meanwhile, you know, they've got the flat screen and the, the phone and all that stuff. We're talking about grinding poverty. Grinding poverty where, where what are we going to eat, literally? There's no food. Um, and as Paul is going out of his way to minister to the poor, it, we need to think about what are we doing to go out of our way uh, to minister to the poor? Uh, how are you and I engaging those around us who are in need? Um, and what does that look like? So a couple of questions to be asking with regard to our, our time, our, our money, and our heart. Are we willing to take risks with these things? Paul was willing to go out of his way, and he was willing to take risks. What risks are we taking? How are we going out of our way to minister to the poor around us? Um, are, you know, and Let's talk about not just financially poor, but Poor, regardless. If somebody's poor relationally, if somebody's poor financially, if somebody's uh, poor when it comes uh, to their health, when it comes to friendships, you know, anybody that has a lack of something, are you willing, am I willing, are we willing to go out of our way to do what we can to, to supply what's lacking, to provide mercy to that point of pain, to that point of, of loss? Are you interruptible? Will we go out of our way with our time when something comes up? Is my schedule so important? Is it so, am I so rigid that I can't give, you know, a half an hour, an hour, a day, a week? You know, who knows? What are we willing to do in order to go out of our way to minister to those in need? What are we willing to do with our money? Um, incidentally there's a mercy fund offering June 4th coming up so as those quarterly mercy fund offerings come what does it look like to go out of your way to to be intentional about participating in that so that we actually can do the kingdom material ministry to our community Um, I love the example that our our kids are setting yesterday they were at Love Inc Uh, it's a consortium, kind of a co-op of mercy ministry among churches in our community, and they minister and they reach out to a lot of the felt needs um, here in Augusta County. And our kids were there helping out at Love Inc. yesterday morning. All of us are called to some kind of expression to go out of our way to show people the kingdom of God, not just to share it and preach it, but to show it. So there's opportunities here at Tabernacle. You can do that through um, our Orphan Hope ministry. We need help with the foster care closet. We need people who are willing to just have their phone with them, be available for one of those phone calls where somebody gets a foster kid and they've got 30 minutes before that kid shows up at the door. They don't have time to go shop. They they can get a delivery from our foster care closet. Uh, What does it look like to help fill our foster care, you know, backpacks for back to school? Uh, What does it look like to go and become a foster parent yourself? Talk about going out of your way. What does it look like to become an adoptive parent yourself, to minister to those who don't have moms for Mother's Day or dads for, dad, for Father's Day? Um, to go out of our way means that we're looking at Paul and we're going, okay, Paul's showing us what it looks like to go out of your way to provide the spiritual blessings of the gospel and to go out of your way to provide the material blessings of the gospel, and that and that's a good example for us, and, I, and I'm challenged by that. I hope you're challenged by that. But it can get kind of heavy after a while. It can get heavy. And, and, and when you look at verse 26, Paul's explaining how Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor. And they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them um, because of the dynamic of the spiritual and, and material blessing exchange. There's, there's this language of, of joy and pleasure in what they're doing. Uh, indeed, they owe it to them. And indeed, you and I, as Christians, have to pay attention to the poor. And we have to share the gospel. That's, those are things that we owe to them. But how can it become a pleasure? Because I think that's where we struggle. We know what we ought to do. I ought to do those things. But I Finding the joy in doing that was something different. So you look at Paul, and Paul went out of his way, and he intentionally journeyed to Jerusalem in order to bring relief to the saints there. You know, despite, despite assurances that he would suffer, he went out of his way to do that. And so, you know, Paul went out of his way to help others, and so should we. And we go, okay. And, and this is where a, a lot of you know pastors would close the Bible and stop the sermon. Go go do good. Follow Paul's example. But that's not enough. God, what God cares about is your heart. He cares about my heart and your heart, and, and he really does want us to make this our joy and to be pleased with this. And so we, not, we have to not just think about Paul who went out of his way and journeyed to Jerusalem and brought assistance for the saints, even when he knew it was going to be harmful to him. What, is it? what does it mean to think about Jesus? Jesus who went out of his way and set his face like flint toward Jerusalem and would not be tempted to move to the right or to the left. He made a beeline right to the cross. And he didn't go to the cross just to help some people. We're not not following the example of someone who helped other people, and so we should do the same thing. Jesus went to the cross to help us help me, without you, and to provide spiritual and material blessings for you, for me, to provide the kingdom of God, to give us entrance into that kingdom, to make us born again so that we can enter the kingdom of God. And, and what he did when he went to that cross is he took our sins away. I mean, what, let's talk about a couple of sins here. My indifference to five billion people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. My indifference to three billion people that live in grinding poverty, that's sin. And Jesus takes that sin away. And he, what he does instead is he, he removes our sin and he gives us a record and a new heart and he gives us the image that he himself Um, lived out in obedience to his Father and that is transferred to us by faith in him so that when the Father looks at us, he sees the perfection, the obedience, the out-of-the-way-ness of of Jesus transferred to you and to me. And he did that for us. He did that for me. I needed that. You need that. And for people who look at the Bible, who look at church, who look at Christianity, who, who think that the... The the basic way of doing church or spirituality or religion is basically that God helps those who help themselves. If that's what you believe, then you have no appetite. You have no understanding. You have no appreciation for the mercy of Jesus to you. But instead, what Jesus said is, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the thirsty. He would bless those who were lonely. He would bless the fatherless. He would bless the widow. He would bless the sick. And if you and I don't see ourselves as on the receiving end of those blessings, then none of us—none of this makes any sense. Why would, you know, if you do anything for anybody, all it ends up doing is making you feel better about yourself. Instead of doing something for somebody else, going out of your way to share the gospel with them, to bless them in their need, And then to give glory to the one who blessed you in your need. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us to see and remember your mercy extended toward us in Jesus. To forgive our sins. To give us a hope and a future. To put us in a family. uh, To become our father. To give us an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade but kept in heaven for us Uh, to give us a new status to remind us that we're accepted to give us grace and to give us all these things that we could never earn or accomplish for ourselves they are all gifts thank you for your mercy to us thank you for your grace and we pray that you would grow in us a a greater desire uh, to to give back what you've given to us to, to go out of our way because you went out of your way for us. Lord, just do this joyfully as an expression of our love for you and our love for our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.